Revelation chapter 19, as we journey through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, working our way through the Bible, Wednesday night in the book of Psalms, encourage you to come out for that. Today, let's have some food. Now, after these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor. And power belongs to the Lord our God, for he is true and righteous in his judgments. Because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants, and they shall be shed by her. And again they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne, saying, Amen. Alleluia. And then the voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and the sound of many waters as the sounds of the mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia. For the Lord our God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the land has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen and clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Well, I fell down uh, at his feet to worship him. But he said, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for all that you have done for us what you will do future, Lord. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for those serving in children's ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we saw the fall of uh, Babylon. That was commercial Babylon. The week before was religious Babylon. But I wanted to make a statement before we moved into this chapter because oftentimes there are misconceptions when I teach on riches. And ultimately, uh, a lot of people are going to have a couple of thoughts. Number one, well, now, are are you telling me now I have to go and sell uh, all of my cool stuff that I have and that name brand stuff and that expensive car? Absolutely (laughs) not. (laughs) Or what are you saying? I can't have name brand? I can't have a name brand? Listen, Uh, Name brands are okay. I mean, how many of you have had the generic version of Lucky Charms? (laughs) Terrible. (laughs) Go with the name brand. Spend the buck. Right? That is not what the Bible is talking about riches, nor our passage last week. And inevitably, this is what happens when you teach on that topic. Because the enemy will come in and they'll say, well, now see, the pastor said you had to go and sell everything and you got to have Walmart clothes. But that's not it. If you think that, you are missing the heart of what God was saying. And what God is saying is, if you are doing this or you are buying this because of the world system, because of envy or covetousness, then it's wrong and you should sell it. Or you should be content with something else. It it is always a heart issue, amen? And we must take God's word in scripture and say, how is this applying to me? God is not telling us that we need to live in burlap bags or in a rundown, you know, house. He is just saying, when you make those purchases, make sure you're doing it with the right heart. And by the way, Uh, If you already have something like that, be content with what you have. Amen? Chapter 19. Now, after these things, I heard a loud voice and a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belongs to the Lord. 
In John chapter 16, verse 4, I want to remind you of this verse. It said, But these things I have told you, that when they come, uh, when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning, because I was with you. The idea is Jesus tells us all of these things about prophecy beforehand, so when it does come to bear, we know that the word of God is true. Amen? So we believe in Jesus Christ, not because of um, it was a story long ago, but because we have his word proven to us, and we have archaeological proof. I mean, you can walk, you can, you can stand right there. Also, what you have in your hand is the most amazing uh, book in all of mankind's history. It is tested and it is proven. Uh, every time they want to get rid of the Bible, uh, you know, it, it just continues on. I don't know about you, I think the funniest thing of all mankind has got to be that China bans Bibles, but China produces the Bibles. Amen. <laughs> Uh, like one or two of those, I've got to get out. Isn't that not funny? Voltaire's house. Voltaire said early on uh, in the late, latter part of the uh, 19th century, he said, uh, God is dead and the Bible's dead and Christianity will die. Well, then uh, he died because all man dies. And uh, the Bible Society bought his house and printed Bibles out of his house. <laughs> if you don't think God's got a sense of humor... Just hang out with the disciples for a while. So all of these things are transpiring, and this major division of the Bible shifts now, and it says, after these things. What are these things? The tribulation. The tribulation is now done, right? With uh, religious Babylon and commercial Babylon destroyed and with Armageddon done, it is now finished, and so we have this new transition and so in this transition, we're going to see um, some really good singing, and then we're going to see finally the church back on the scene. Amen? Are you ready? Here we go. So he says, Alleluia, salvation, glory, and honor, and power belong to the Lord our God. The word Alleluia, we say Hallelujah, right? But Alleluia is Hebrew. It's what they would say in the Old Testament. And it is used um, some four times in just this chapter of Revelation. It's used nowhere else in the New Testament, just here. It means, for all intents and purposes, praise the Lord. And so this term is used, and note with me it says, for salvation, glory, and honor, and power belong to the Lord our God. Why? Because of all what transpired through the tribulation, and how God's grace, even in the midst of his judgment, was being poured out, amen? And now we're there. By the way, just for everybody to, to understand, if you're a follower of Christ in, uh, uh, today, and if you know him and you're going to be in heaven, you better learn these songs. I don't want you to learn, lean over, are they going to put them on the wall? <laughs> Please, write them on your hand if you need to, but, you know, learn these songs. They're not long. Alleluia. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. Why do they say that? Because of everything that was experienced through the tribulation. Remember, God does nothing wrong. Do you know that? Listen, even inside of the church, people think that that's not a true statement. Uh, my son was asking me a question uh, in one of his classes, and he, and he said, the question is, does God contradict himself? I'm like, that is the stupidest question I've ever heard. If he does that, we're in the wrong, we're in the, bye. <laughs> right? Paul said, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we are of the most all pitiful of men. God help us, right? Or as we say in the South, bless our heart. <laughs> for true and righteous are your judgments because he has judged the great harlot who has corrupted the earth with her fornication and has avenged her blood on his servants 
and they have shed by her. So not only religious Babylon, finally that is done, right? Something that is old as Genesis 10, and now commercial Babylon, that, that wanting of stuff and riches above everything else, gone. And now as we're going to see, uh, we're going to see Jesus Christ coming on a white horse, Lord willing, next week. And so, again, they said, I don't know. I hope we go home soon. I can't hunt, uh, handle another press conference. <laughs> I'm losing my mind. I'm thinking about taking the TV up to the property and using it as target practice. <laughs> Which would just, I mean, any t- all right. And they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. And then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all of you of his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And verse 6 says, I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters, as the sound of many thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. That's another song you have to learn. That is us. This scene finally shifts. The last time that we saw us was in Revelation chapter 4, being raptured out and then the tribulation period. So now the, the focus is going to be on Christ. Uh, the thousand-year reign, the new heaven and the new earth, but now he brings us back into the scene. And it said, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. Let me read the rest of this, and we'll come back to verse 7. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. By the way, I I want you to see verse 8, and then we'll look at verse um, 7. Something that just popped in my head. Notice it says that we are arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. This is God seeing us what we are, that at the end. Not now, right? Not this under construction mess. He sees us complete. Isn't that good news? Because you and I look at each other like, man, I am a mess, right? And you're getting dust on other people. Knock it off, right? And people are always... Um, we are always hurting other people, whether we mean to do that or not. It's just how life is and how construction is. But God sees the complete product. He sees you right now. This is amazing. I just like to sit and think about this for a minute. He sees you complete in a white robe. Amazing. That is why we sing Alleluia For our Lord God omnipotent reigns. And let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Now here at Calvary Chapel we talk about this all the time. So this is nothing new. But context is everything. When you're reading the Bible you need to not read it from the perspective of 2021 nor the perspective of an American in a Western country, or read the Bible from a Greek perspective, uh, the Greek way of thinking. You must read the Bible in, in which it was written to a Hebrew-speaking people and to the culture in which they lived in. You must read the Bible specifically in the New Testament from a 30 A.D. perspective and that Jesus is living in the Galilee region. You see, a Galilean wedding was different from a Judean or a southern Israel wedding. 
They had their own unique customs to which the disciples would have known because they lived in the Galilee. And shocker, Jesus lived in the Galilee. Almost 70% of the Gospels are written in the Galilee. No one lived in the Galilee. It was very sparse. It would be like uh, Jesus doing ministry in Aner. Now, we love Aner. Every once in a while, he'd go over to Green Sea there, right, into the Red Bluff area. Maybe he might drift into Conway, and then for the big show, he'd go into Myrtle Beach. But for the majority of Jesus' ministry, it was spent in the Galilee. He lived in the Galilee. His disciples were, they were Galilean. And the Galileans had a different way of doing weddings, a different wedding feast. They had different customs, different way of doing things. And what Jesus does, and if you get this, you will get Bible prophecy. By the way, did you see that? Let me jump right back down to verse 10. It says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of what? Prophecy. That means when Jesus is speaking, for the most part, right, aside from his teachings, but he's talking about end time stuff, it's focusing on the Galilean wedding. Because his guys knew that, and for the majority of those that he spoke to, they knew that. So context is everything, amen? You cannot look at this from a Western point of view, a Hollywood point of view. Throw Hollywood out, amen? Because you're about to get married right now in a way, woo! <laughs> you thought it was about love. <laughs> nope about a contract. You see, our Western world has really polluted a lot of different things. And what God has said, he, the two will become one flesh. What man has joined together, let no man tear asunder. The first institution was marriage. Marriage was in the garden. It's the only thing that came out of the garden that was good, right? And so marriage is old. And God looks upon marriage as something divine and given to mankind as a blessing. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> You're like, my blessing's a little rougher around the edge. <laughs> Look, if you can't laugh and have fun in church, where can you have it? So there were two main parts of the Galilean wedding, if you're taking note. Two main things. And we're going to look at all the scripture that Jesus uses to describe this. It's going to blow your mind. And I love doing that. Because context is everything. The two main parts of a Galilean wedding were, number one, the betrothal period, in which the two families or the two parties came together with a written document, a covenant that was witnessed and agreed upon. Everybody got that? So what would happen typically is this. You might be five or six years old, right? And there would be a, a carpenter family or there's a farmer family and they're like, look, that's a female and that's a male. That's great. Let's keep an eye on them. And as they're growing up and now they're getting into 13, 14, and at some point the papas come together. The dads come together and they make this uh, agreement, and there is a dowry there. <laughs> now, a dowry in the Middle East is different than a dowry in the Galilee. The dowry in the Galilee was a protection for the wife in case the husband died so that she would, are you ready for it, have life insurance. No other group of people, no other... Um, uh, Middle Eastern custom about a dowry does it that way, only the Galilee. Only the Galilee looks after the woman. Only the Galilee looks after women. Jesus is an elevator of women. If you look around the world, even in Judaism, we are Judeo-Christians, but women is not elevated to the place. There is no Jew nor Gentile, nor male nor female. We are all one in what? In Christ. Amen? So with, if, I, if, if I hear another Christianity puts down women, I'm going to put them on a plane and take them to Afghanistan. 
I have to restrain myself a lot. Did you hear the lunatic who said that the Texas abortion law was akin to the Taliban? I said, oh, please let me buy your ticket. Please. We, the, the United States of America, I'll wait for a holiday to get to that. Christianity has elevated women where she properly is to be. And the Galilean wedding was different. And so the papas came together and they had a written document of a covenant. And the covenant was between the, the, the boy, because they're, they're not men yet, boy and a girl. And they said, these two are going to come together at some point and there is going to be a wedding. All right. Well, in order to um, solidify the covenant and the contract at that moment, the bridegroom takes a cup of wine and he hands it to the bride. And she can, this is why the Galilee is so important. This is why context is so important. Because only in the Galilee was the girl allowed to refuse In every other culture, when they come together as an arranged marriage, girls, you couldn't get out of it. Because if he looked like a donkey, too bad. (laughs) You're marrying him because that's what the papas said. Got it? But in the Galilee, only the Galilee in Jesus' area could could the, the girl, the bride, say no. Now, what is that on a broader um, message for the gospel? That means God never forces anybody to be his bride. You have to take the cup. You have to say, yes, I want to be a follower of Christ. And you partake of the cup. And by taking, partaking of the cup, you say, this is a covenant now between you and me. And now I have made this covenant between God and man. Well, it gets better, doesn't it? As you can, well, I'm so excited about teaching this. I've been waiting for months to teach this. Because it's exciting when you know exactly what was happening in that day. We are dumb Americans. Have you figured that out? And we think the the world revolves around us. And our culture and our tweets and our Facebook posts... It is the context of Jesus and his message, the spirit of prophecy. So, listen to what the bridegroom says to the bride after she partakes of the cup. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until I drink of it with you in my father's house. If, you, if that sounds familiar, Matthew 26, 28 says, For this is my blood of the new covenant. Jesus is with the disciples. It is the Last Supper. He is having communion. He is getting communion going. This is now going to be a pattern for the church as a remembrance for us. Notice what Jesus says. It's a covenant. This is a new covenant that I make with you, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the day in which I drink of it anew with you, In my Father's kingdom. Jesus just said to the disciples at the Last Supper the very words that they all know. Listen, Jesus doesn't have to say, guys, you know the context of this, right? They all knew what a Galilean wedding was. By the way, a wedding in Jesus' day was the greatest thing that any town could do at any given moment. So it was a huge deal. It was a great festival. These people partied for seven days. And if you were poor, you wanted to go to, you were like the total wedding crasher. You wanted to go and be invited to every wedding. Who is it? I don't know, but we're going. They've got cake. Listen to what Jesus did just say. But you read that from an American perspective not knowing what the Galilean wedding means, and it says, oh, it's communion. Oh, Jesus, no. 
Jesus is making a statement to the 12 who know exactly what he just said. And what did he just say? We'll get to that in a second. Well, then the bride, uh, the, uh, so then the bridegroom would go and add on to his father's house over the next year. Ladies, you're living with your in-laws. <laughs> now listen to what Jesus said, John 14, 3. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The, the verse before, I think, says, in my father's house are many mansions, right? So when he says that in John 14, the disciples know exactly what he is saying. They know that it is a picture of the Galilean wedding. So not only did the bridegroom now go and add on to the father's house, but he would be getting ready uh, not only the, the, their portion of the house, but their marriage bed, right? The marriage bed is undefiled, Paul says, because this is something that God has created. It's good and it's right. Not only does he do that, he goes and he gets everything that is needed for the marriage feast. So over the next year, by the way, and think about how many people are coming to this wedding feast that they invited. Let's just say it's 100 people. Think about feeding 100 people right now for seven days. <laughs> what? What was the first miracle of Jesus? You'll get a mint. It's easy. It's the topic we're talking about. Come on, people. Yeah, he went to a wedding, and the Lord blessed it. And he went, by the way, it, that's so important that that was the very first uh, miracle that he did was at a wedding that he blessed marriage because he knew how important marriage is in the scope of, God, of God's uh, prophetic word and what that means and how we are as the bride of Christ. But I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 22. We're going to go a couple of places here. Even though I have these scripture in my notes, I want you to go there because I want you to see for yourself how this applies to us. Matthew 22, verse 11. And it's a parable that Jesus is giving about the wedding feast. And in verse 11, it says, But when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man who did not have on a, what? A wedding garment. Just pause. We'll keep reading. So the bridegroom goes for a year to get the dwelling ready, but he is also buying wedding garments. Everybody who attends the feast gets a wedding garment. Just think of it as a, a nice burlap bag, <laughs> right? But when you came to the door to the wedding feast, the, 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 uh, the father would hand a wedding garment to you, and then you would go into the wedding feast, the marriage supper, right? So listen to what Jesus says. But when the king came in, he seized the guest, and he saw a man who did not have on a wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, why, uh, why did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called but few are chosen. If you don't have a wedding garment, you can't get in. Now, we'll play this out all the way through today's message, okay? There's so much more, but I wanted you to see that Jesus spoke about the wedding garment. Why? Because his guys knew that the bridegroom's job was to go away and get the dwelling place ready, but also get all the food ready, that's today's message, and the garments ready. We just read that she has on a clean garment in Revelation 16. Now, what's the bride's responsibility? <laughs> in all of this. Well, she has a tough job too. The bride was responsible for keeping herself pure 
and to obtain the things like the wedding dress and the oil for the lamps. Now, turn over to Matthew chapter 25. You weren't far away. Now, again, I don't mean to beat this horse to death, and I'm sure my daughter doesn't like me saying, using that idiom, beat this horse to death. But context is everything. So now when you read these parables, now the parables aren't just, and I don't mean to say this, empty. They have deep meaning because now you know, oh, oh, that applies to the Galilean wedding. And not only that, it's talking about prophetic. And so there is a meaning in there. It's not that it's totally deep, but when you know the context of it, it becomes rich. Amen? Well, then the kingdom of heaven is, will be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. We'll get to that in a little bit. Now, five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. And those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels, in their lamps. And while the bridegroom was what? Delayed. So this is the bride's responsibility to keep herself pure, to get her wedding dress, which is righteousness, we'll see that, and the oil. Oil in the Bible is Holy Spirit. These are Holy Spirit-filled believers. Okay? Let's keep going. Um, if I knew where I was. Five, thank you. Uh, but while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. I want you to remember this. At the end, we'll come back to it. And then all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for the lamps are going out. Guys, you cannot give somebody the Holy Spirit. And you can't fly him around like he's a softball. You can't use your coat and fling the Holy Spirit. Because there's a lot of craziness on TV. And that's not what this is. The Holy Spirit dwells with inside of a believer and allows us and helps us to be who we are as believers in Jesus Christ. He never takes our body and does weird stuff. Because what kind of good, good father would that be? Amen? Hey, oy vey. And so the wise answered and said, no, lest there not be enough for us and you, but rather go to those who sell and to buy for yourself. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding and listen, and the door was shut. Chapter 19, the door is shut in Revelation. It's not going to open up anymore. When we look at this feast, it's shut. Everybody got that? So, lest they're not, uh, I'm sorry, and the door was shut. Now, afterwards, the other virgins came saying, Lord, Lord, open up the door for us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I don't know you. Watch, therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man cometh. And this is a powerful parable. It's a parable of not only believing, but believing to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, people can believe in Jesus, and they're not saved. People can believe in UFOs. People can believe in unicorns. People can believe in fair elections. Wait. <laughs> See, you know, I, come on, man. We can believe in stuff. That doesn't mean it's true. Amen? What this parable says is the five wise have the Holy Spirit inside of them. The, the New Testament said that the Holy Spirit is a guarantee. <laughs> That's for our Louisiana friends. That we are saved. So they have the oil. They're saved. They're in. So when Jesus meets the foolish, he says, yeah, you believe, but not to a saving faith. Let's turn back so I can get to my notes. <laughs> mm -hmm. I did that one. Okay. Now, 
this year has been going by, and the bridegroom is building onto his father's house. So just like in the parable, at an hour when they did not expect, remember that in the parable of the virgins there, at an hour when they did not expect, um, the father would tell uh, the, the bridegroom to go get his bride. Now, what's interesting about this is, and we're going to pull the verse in a minute, but the, the bridegroom didn't know. Think about this. You're building on, right? You, men, you finished. You've drywalled everything. You got tile or carpet in. The bed's there. The lamps are there. The ceiling fan's there. I mean, this room cannot be any more of a room. And you're like, Dad, uh, I'm done. And he goes, okay, but I'll tell you when. Now think about this. They are seeing each other in town. This contract is a legal contract. And if one of them were to um, have sex outside of marriage, it would be grounds for stoning. So they took it very seriously. So now you've got this bridegroom, and he's like, hey, Dad, when is it going to be? And he's like, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. I'll let you know. But at some point, he would wake his son, and he would say, go get your bride. And he would usually do this at night. Some, uh, some claim in the Galilean wedding, it was specific to midnight. So, the, the bridegroom is very excited, obviously. He gets up, right? And what does he grab? He grabs a ram's horn. And now he goes out with his bride, uh, the, the, his guys that are with him in his bridal party, and she's got her bridesmaids with her at her house, and they come out and they go down the street with torches, and he is blowing the trumpet to not only awaken everybody in the town, but to awaken the bride. And now the bride is awakened from our parable with the virgins. She gets up, trims her lamps. Why do you need lamps if it's the daytime? Right? So now they're all, they've got their lamps, they've trimmed them, and they're going out to meet the bridegroom who is blowing the trumpet. What I find fascinating is not only are they awaking the bride, but they're awaking the city. And in the Bible, trumpets were used specifically in the Old Testament to announce special times and seasons and announce the king is coming. So whether or not they are going to be in the, the wedding feast or not, it, that's not the point. The point is the king is coming. And so Jesus blows this trumpet for us. But I want to make one statement, and then we'll go to our ending. In Matthew 24, 36, Jesus says, But of that day and of that hour no one knows, not the angels of heaven nor the Son, but my Father only. Now, when he makes that statement, those who are Galilean and know the wedding know exactly what Jesus is saying. Okay, that makes sense to them, and now, amen, today, it will make sense to you. Now, when the bridegroom comes to go get his bride to the bride's house, the, the men, the, the bridegroom's men, would carry a litter or for better our purposes, a chair. And they would have a chair, and then the two men would carry that. And so the bride would come out. Are you ready for it? This is the pinnacle. This is the climax of the whole thing. They put it down. She steps on it. The two men lift her up and carry her to her father's house, to the bridegroom's house. She is lifted up and carried. Where have we seen that? Let's turn to Revel uh, Revelation. We're there. First uh, Thessalonians chapter four. There is the Bible is not a bunch of happenstance. It is all one thread through the entire Bible. Jesus said, "The volume of the book speaks of me." Paul 
Paul the Apostle speaking to the Thessalonians. By the way, the, the book is filled with prophetic word. And he says in verse uh, 13 of chapter 4, and if you've not gone through Thessalonians, you can watch that on our YouTube channel or podcast. He says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep or died, lest you have sorrow of those who have no hope. As a believer, I want you to underline this, we do not sorrow as those who do not have hope. Listen, I heard a pastor say it this week, and I want you to hear this because it was gold. During COVID, with a believer, there is no tragedies. There are graduations. Everybody got that? When a believer dies, it's not a tragedy, it's a graduation. We have got to stop thinking like the world thinks with fear. They're not a tragedy. It is an opportunity for them now to sing Alleluia. Our great God reigns. And so Paul was addressing an issue with the Thessalonians because Paul was talking about end times. For three weeks he was with them. He taught them prophecy to what churches today say, ah, you probably shouldn't do that because people don't like that stuff. It's kind of confusing and weird. They won't come. Um, we teach it and people still come. By the way, the, the, when Revelation is taught here at CCMB, it's the most attended. Now, I'm hoping that will be coming up with Job. You hear me? I want you to start, uh, yes, Revelation is great, but Job, now that's a guy. I'm serious. Job's life is going to give us much more than we could ever imagine. How many of you got three dumb friends giving you advice? <laughs> Amen, sister. <laughs> right? Don't you think that's going to apply to us? Oh, we'll get there. I don't know when, a couple of months. So they've got a prophetic problem. They're thinking, oh, Paul, some of our friends have died. Does that mean they're going to miss out on the rapture of the church? And so he writes this letter in chapter 4, and he says, For if we believe, verse 14, that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have died in Jesus. I love Jesus in multiple different ways, but how common sense he is. And are like, why can't you guys just figure this out? It's easy. To be absent in the body is to be present in the Lord. There's no soul sleep. And if Jesus come ba comes back, he's going to bring those who died before. Okay, keep going. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Uh, Paul just said, this is gospel truth that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or die. And here we are, verse 16. Underline it, highlight it. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with what? The trumpet of God. Listen, Paul is writing this to the Thessalonians, right? Paul knows what a Galilean wedding is. He has that in his mind. And so Jesus blows the trumpet, and listen, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be harpazo, caught up in the Latin, rapturo. If I hear another church saying there is no rapture in the church, I'm, or rapture in the Bible, I'm going to freak out on them. What Bible version are you reading? Because I'll bring a Latin Bible. How many of you were ex-Catholics? Right? There's a, open it up, rapturo, right there. It's in there. Our English word is rapture, caught up. How does it apply? Listen. <laughs> and they will be caught up together. So now the bride gets on the litter, on the chair. She is lifted up and now taken to the Father's house, listen, <laughs> with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And now the betrothal period is done. 
We are living in the betrothal period. And what Paul says here is, it's done, it's complete, and now we go where? To the marriage feast. Now, I want you to hear verse 18 before we leave it. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Isn't it funny that the topic people in the church today want to shy away from, which is prophetic or the rapture, is the very thing that Paul says, comfort one another with these words. So what are you guys being comforted by then? If you're not comforting, that's a word, with the rapture of the church and prophetic and end times. Almost, it's 28% of the Bible is prophecy. Think about a church leaving 28% of the Bible, let alone them not teaching the Old Testament. What is that doing to believers? What kind of believer are we creating? You see, we need a believer that is rapture ready. We need a believer that has been the same believer for 2,000 years, waiting for the blessed hope of Jesus Christ. At any moment, the bridegroom could blow the trumpet. We are the bride of Christ. The bridegroom cometh. He said, watch and wait. Why? Because <laughs> he's coming. Let's turn back to Re Revelation chapter 19. A little excited about this topic today. I love it. I love it because we teach it here and we are faithful to God's word here. All of it, all 66 books of the Bible. We don't shy away from anything, Job. It's coming. So now, the trumpet is blown, right? The bride is carried to the father's house and now those other parables kick in. That parable of the wedding feast. And now people are handed their garment. And now they come in. Now we're back to Revelation verse 19, verse 7. So let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. How is she ready? The parable of the ten virgins. She is ready because she has the Holy Spirit inside her. It has nothing to do with what we are doing. We cannot get ourselves to God. It is only by his work, his righteousness, and the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Amen? Amen. Did you see that? I don't work myself to God. It is only by his power. But you don't get that unless you look at all of those parables and all of them and you put it all together under the guise of the, the Galilean wedding feast. He ends by saying in... To her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saint, and that is right on living, just doing what's right, what the Bible says, not what the world says, what the Bible says. And then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And so I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Listen, if anyone other, this is what everyone should say, worship God. If they tell you to do anything other than God and his son, Christ, Jesus Christ, Run from that church. Well, we should pray to the saints. Run. Maybe we should pray to Mary. Run. Worship who? I know what you're thinking. This isn't very seeker-friendly today. Yeah. Narrow is the way. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There are not multiple paths to God. There is one. And then everyone, then after I say that, people come, oh, there is multiple, but then they get cast to hell. Yes, but that's not very gentle. There's only one path to the Heavenly Father. There's only one bridegroom. And if you don't know who the bridegroom is, you will not get a garment to come in. Oh, you can bump into Jesus, like the woman who had an issue of blood, right? There were people thronging all around. They were bumping into Jesus left and right. But only the woman touched Jesus. And when she touched him, she was healed. 
And people bump into Jesus every Sunday all across America. But are you touching Jesus? Is he touching your life? Are you being transformed by the power of his spirit? Or is it just religion to you? Because we already killed religion in chapter 18. 17, (laughs) one of those. Worship God, John says. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I taught a message one time and tied that all together about prophecy and Jesus and how everything in the Bible has to do with Jesus. That's why he said the volume of the book speaks of me. Well, read ahead. We'll see who's on the white horse. Jesus. (laughs) I don't need anybody coming in like, I don't know. It's Jesus. Listen, now you know what a Galilean wedding is. Now you are 30 AD educated. Isn't that great? Get your Western mind out of the Bible and start using the time period and the culture in which Jesus lived in, in Job lived in, in Adam and Noah, these days that Jesus said, in the days of Noah, in the days of Lot, will be the coming of the Son of Man. What does that mean? Well, investigate it for yourself and find it. It's in the Bible. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for handing us that cup. And I pray, Lord, for anybody today who has not accepted the cup, that they would cry out to you, Lord, and they would accept you into their life. Thank you, Lord, for cleansing our sins and giving us this picture of communion to wash us clean from the world through the washing of the water of the word. Lord, it is your word that we elevate. You said that you will elevate your word above your very name. So how important is it for us to read the Bible, to study it, to go through it as a body of believers? Thank you, Lord, for this great picture of the Galilean wedding. And we thank you, Lord, that even if we die now, we graduate and we get to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord forever. And so, Lord, we need to comfort one another with these words. The world wants to bring fear in our heart, but perfect love has cast out fear. And so, Lord, as the believer in Christ, we shall not fear. Thank you, Lord, for our day. Thank you for your word. And Lord, that we would, as John will say at the end of Revelation, Maranatha, even so, Lord Jesus, come. Thank you, Lord, for our day. In Jesus' name, amen.